0: Jerusalem, how I love for you to be at your walls, to walk on your streets. Shalom, everyone. Welcome to this week's Living Torah Port- Living Torah, yeah, whatever. A double Torah portion. Crazy week ahead of me. I've got to. I'm heading out to uh, Colorado for just a couple of days, and then we have, Kathy and I have our whole family coming in right after that, and uh, to make matters worse, I just recorded about 30 minutes of a great episode of Living Torah, but I forgot to hit the button, that usually happens uh, the weeks that I've got more to do than I really need to do, so, all right, um, yeah, heading to Colorado, the end of August, after everything else, uh, the end of August, I'll be up in, I think it's Manchester, Pennsylvania? Uh, I'm actually working with a youth group uh, up there, but I get to speak to the adults too, or they're making me speak to the adults so that I can speak to the youth, whichever. Uh, so if you're anywhere, I'll have some information on that, uh, in, in the coming weeks. All right. Uh, during that same week, uh, Young will be in uh, at life assembly. He's in the States right now, and, uh, we will be spending a few days prior to, his speaking at life assembly, but I'm gonna be taking off, so I will leave it in uh in his very capable hands that week. Uh Anok and I will be working on the this coming tour, which by the way is full. Uh, we have uh, twenty-eight people signed up and that's all that we take. Uh but we are also gonna be working on two thousand twenty-four. I can tell you already receiving emails for 2024 we have not even set the dates in concrete yet so um, we're about half full for for next year already so if you're wanting to go if you're interested in going you might want to send me an email and reserve your spot uh we're coming at the, the last two torah portions of, of the midbar numbers where did that time go i, I thought we were just in genesis or something and here we are just about to turn the page into Devarim. The next thing you know, we'll be in the fall festivals in Sukkot. So, yeah, time flies. Whether you're having fun or not, seems like time's flying by. Uh, let's get into the tour portion this week as we're in... No, we're not in pinkos I've got to turn a page here and make sure... Yes, it says recording there. Uh, we're going to be in um, num- yeah, in Bamidbar, uh, Chapter 30. And it begins with this kind of an interesting concept of a a, a woman who speaks a vow unto uh formally obligating herself uh, by by swearing an oath, and the father stepping in. Uh, what is this all about? Is there is there anything really for us today? Yeah, I think there's a lot for us today, and that is first of all understanding. That the father has placed within our homes authority. There are there is an order that should be, and that order has been uh, is is the enemy's number one agenda these days. It looks like, but even with that, we can still we can we can place this. And for dads, for for fathers, for husbands. It first of all says to me that we need to be aware of what's happening in our house. Now, this is nothing against the wife, this is nothing against the children, but is directly uh, is directed specifically to men. Do you know what's happening within the walls of your house? Do you know uh regarding your children, do you know the video games that they are playing? Do you know what is going on on their computer, their iPhone, their iPad, whatever? Do you know the emails, the the messages, the TikTok? Do, Do you know what is happening within the confines of your house and of your property? Why is this important? Because according to scripture, you're responsible for those things that go on within the confines of your family. Men, you're responsible for that which your wife is a part of, that which your sons, your daughters are a part of. You're responsible for what happens in your house. You invite somebody into your house, you are responsible for their action. You're responsible for what they bring into your house. So that's that's one level of this. The other is um, that you know what do we do with vows? Uh, how, you know, is is our word our vow these days? For for most people that I run into, uh, and unfortunately, this even goes over into some messianic circles. Uh, words not their the words not meant doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, let, let's use an example. Okay, maybe kind of a little silly example, but let's say that you you tell somebody you're going to be somewhere. Okay, I'm going to meet you for lunch at twelve o'clock, and they they get there and and uh, you're not there at twelve o'clock. So you get a, a, you, they send you a text, phone call, whatever. You don't show up. You don't you don't text back. You don't return the call. Whatever, and you show up about twelve thirty. Well, I got tied up. Okay, so what? You did not. You, you did not have the decency. You didn't have the honor for me to to tell me that you're going to be late. Because if you make a, I'm using this in you know, rhetorical terms here. If you make a vow to me and tell me you're going to meet me somewhere at noon, and you show up at twelve thirty, and I didn't know anything about it, you just stole thirty minutes of my life, which, by the way, is a commandment of "You shall not steal." Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be people of our word. Uh, Go to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 5, and start reading through the so-called Beatitudes. Get down there to about, about verse 30 or so, and it starts talking about vows. And it starts talking about, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Can we be people of our word this day? Because if we're not... If we're not people of our word, and then we start talking to someone about the word, are they going to listen to us? Uh, Probably not. Because we haven't deserved the trust of them listening to us. Because we have not been people of our word. So how can we talk to them about living up to His word? Hmm, okay. Now, going to, and I'm going to be all over the place today. In chapter 32, it is, or excuse me, 31, on behalf of the people of Israel, take vengeance on the Midianite. And Moses, after that, you're going to die, is kind of a literal translation. You're going to be gathered into your people. Uh, What's up with this verse? I love this. I, I probably go through this every year. Is that at this point in time, Moses is, he's failed, okay? He struck the rock the second time, he's not going into the land. And he's, he's got this judgment upon him. Wow, what a bummer. And I, I'm, I guess I'm speculating here. This is my opinion. God looked upon this situation and said, No, that's not going to be his legacy. I know it says here that, um, you know, on behalf of the people of Israel, but it's the next verse is that Moshe said to the people, Uh, equip men from among yourselves for war. Did Moshe take up a sword? No. Did Moshe go out into the war? No. Did he even fight one battle? No. Did he give any orders? Probably not. The only order he said was this, go kill him. And so, why? I personally believe it's so that the legacy of Moses would be that of a warrior a conqueror a man who walked in obedience a man who failed yes a man who was a man he was human but in the end the legacy of Moshe would not be the striking of the rock it would be the overcoming uh, maybe we should be focusing more on that instead of well he struck the rock now it's, uh, if we if we look in here, it's pretty good that uh, who who dies in this? Well, Zor, the father of Cosby, and Balaam himself—they both die in this. Guys, there's there's something really heartwarming to their deaths. Is that I look at the news, you look at the news, we see all the things that are going on in the world. We we see the you know this this movie that's out uh, recently about sex trafficking and and uh, the, the the horrors of that. Uh, What is this all about? This is about the the Almighty stepping in. He's stepping into history. It's like, uh, you want to know if I'm here? Just watch. And so we see in this that in the end, vengeance is going to be his. And there's coming a day. I I don't know when that day is going to be. It appears that things are ramping up a little bit. Don't you don't you think? But it appears that he is in the process of taking vengeance. It's his. Vengeance is mine. His. I shall repay, is what he says. And it's not really my job to ask him to loan it out to me. He is much better at taking vengeance on his enemies than I am. Now, it does... Kind of go this again, it falls apart a little bit as these people go out to war and they're told to put to death everyone. Well, instead, we see in verse 13 of uh, chapter 31, uh, let's see, let's go to 14. But Moshe was angry with the army officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds coming in from the battlefield. Moshe asked them, Who, who let the women live? Why, these are the ones who, because of Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to rebel, breaking faith with Adonai in the poor incident, so that the plague broke out among Adonai's people. Okay. Well, they decided that instead of going by the instructions, they were going to put in their opinion. And their opinion was this. That well, you know, I mean, these are these are kind of cute girls, and it, it's it's a shame to put all of them to death. You know, keeping this a family show, it's possible that some of these men had their swords drawn, uh, in front of some of the women that you know, a few days earlier, had caused them to sin. And so, what did they do? They were showing mercy. On that which they were to show no mercy to. And the question, in my mind, is this. What are we, I, what am I showing mercy to in my life? What is it? What is it that that I show mercy to instead of showing absolute destruction to? You know, this this is a personal one. This is a question for each of us. Uh, I was talking with the, the guys on on Life on Purpose last night. And I really encourage people to listen to this one. It was a uh, was uh, the uh, the revive uh, update we gave a report of, and uh, we we had we struggled. I tell you, we struggled trying to figure out how to describe what we were a part of this uh, a couple weekends ago, but in the end. There was something that was brought out that I, I think is is appropriate here. That I did an altar call, I, an old fashioned old fashioned altar call, uh, as old fashioned as the temple itself, as the tabernacle itself. Okay, so that's that's pretty. It's, uh, it may be old fashioned, but I think it's in I'm in good company there. Um, we did a, an altar, and I didn't say, "Well, if you're if, if you're dealing with this in your life, come to this chair." And if you're dealing with this in your life, come to this chair. No, I just said, "If you need to meet with God, you know, if anybody that grew up in uh, in a church that had a or had been a part of a church that had an altar, I, I, I found that a lot of times it was easy for the pastor slash especially an evangelist, I could pretty much tell tell a person what that person was dealing with in their life. Because a lot of times, for, for those of us who are, are, are speakers, we speak out of our own lives. And so if you listen to a person long enough, you can a lot of times figure out what they're dealing with. Because they will try to hide behind it by placing guilt upon you regarding it you might have to rewind that one and think through that one a little bit but i didn't do this at uh, this past revive i just said guys here is a place to meet with god if you need freedom if you need restoration if you need redemption if you need the filling of spirit this is a place to meet with god the time that we no longer show mercy on that which is keeping us from meeting him it, it's a personal thing and so we all need to have our own personal altars in which we deal with the things that we should not be showing mercy to in the 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 in the account here of the hebrews and the Midianite women—I mean, really—these are the ones who caused you to stumble. These are the ones who are are uh, responsible for the deaths in the camp, and you're showing mercy to them. It, it, it'd be like you know uh, somebody in your family dying of, uh, of of something, and then you showing mercy to. That which killed them, you, you put in whatever you want in there, you know. Somebody, uh, well, I'll get. I guess I can get a little bit more personal with it. Somebody, somebody in your family dies of of drug abuse, but you just keep allowing drugs to come in your home. You've shown mercy instead of putting to death that which keeps you away from God and destroys your life. Now, this is this going to be a, a real change here as I go all the way down to 32 and it's the story of Reuven and Gad uh, th- this one is like why in the world is this here okay let's look at the scenario we've got Moshe who has been told you're not going to be entering into the land and he's standing there maybe looking out toward Jericho toward the promised land longing wishing he could go back a few days and and redo the instance of striking the rock the second time maybe tears in his eyes because he was streaming down his cheeks because he doesn't he knows he's not going to be going in and, and and here comes these leaders of Reuben and Gad it's like hey Moshe we got something to talk about you, talk to you about yeah okay what is it well, we decided that we want to stay over on this side. Moshe just, you know, he turns around like, you decided what? Say, say that one more time? No, guys, I got it. Okay, these are the biblical, this is within the biblical borders, what will one day be the biblical borders of Israel, yes. But it's, it's not what they're told to possess now. Because the Father is very gracious in that he only d- gives us that which we can handle. He knew that they could not handle the complete borders. So he tells them to possess a portion of the borders. Reuben and Gad, on the other hand, decide, well, we don't want to go over there. We're going to stay on this side. And the guy that is, does, I mean, he, the, he would be like, what I would give to be able to put one foot on the other side of the the Jordan River. But I can't. There's nothing that I have that I could give for that. And, And you guys, though you have the opportunity, you're saying you don't want to? Give me a break. Well, maybe it goes back to the personalities of who they are. If we look to Genesis and also to Deuteronomy, we see the prophecies that are given through Jacob, through and through uh, through Moses himself, over the twelve tribes, and we, we look at the, the what is said about these these two the tribes, and first of all Reuben is one of compromise. You know he slept with his father's concubine. Uh, he's the one that could have saved his brother Joseph, but he didn't. He's the firstborn. And though he's the firstborn, he's never stepped up to being the firstborn. He's always walked out a little bit of compromise in his life. And so, might as well do that again, right? Gad, on the other hand, a troop will troop on you. It's, uh, literally, it, it's like this. Gad, you're your own worst enemy. Um, he doesn't feel himself worthy of going across the Jordan River. And so their own issues, their own issues kept them from going across. Well, Moshe's not having any, uh, anything to do with that. And though he's going to tell them, okay, if this is what you want to do, then we're going to make a way. Now, is this something that should have been done? I, I, I don't know. But in the end, this is what's going to happen. Moshe brings in half of the tribe of Manasseh. Why did he do that? Maybe to in in consideration that uh, if, if Manasseh, Manasseh is if half the tribes are on this side and half on this side, that they will you know somehow that cohesion will continue. Well, it, it didn't really it didn't really work out real well in the end. I mean. You look at the Gospels, and it's the area of the Gadarenes that are raising the, the pigs. Okay, so yeah. See, compromise never works out well. That is an exception. That is a rule that has no exception. Compromise never works out well. Not dealing with your own negative self image never Works out well. Yeah, these men, I'm not worthy. Well, I've 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 failed in the past. Okay, that's fine. God knows that, He knows that. You you go before Him and say, you know, I'm not worthy. He's like, yeah, I uh, I you know I've I've failed. Yeah, it's not a surprise to Him. But He says to us. In the scriptures, I've made you worthy. I've strengthened you that you can overcome. What is this verse? We are more than conquerors? Yeah. Um, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. It's, it's, It's a great list of verses to read. But until we begin to live out those verses, they're going to keep us on the wrong side of the Jordan. So they need to move into. Now, it's kind of an interesting spin here in the verses, because we go down to chapter 32, verse 16. But they came to him and said, Here we will build enclosures for our livestock and cities for our little ones. Notice, notice the, the order in which they state this. We're going to build enclosures for our livestock and cities for our little ones. Now go over to verse 24. Moshe is instructing them and says, You are to build cities for your little ones and enclosures enclosures for your livestock, or it's it's, uh, translated here sheep. Notice the order. They come to Moses more concerned about their livestock than their children. Moshe comes back and puts it into order and says, you need to first of all consider the cities that you build for your children, And then be concerned about your livestock. Now, if we, I I have a a statement here in the um, the, the, uh, margin of my scriptures. Fathers were concerned, were more concerned with their flocks than with their children. Let's put this into present day terms. They're more consider, they're more, uh, more concerned about their own success than their children. More concerned about climbing the corporate ladder than their children. More concerned about what the neighbor will think than their children. Jerusalem how I love for you be at your walls to walk on your streets. And Let's not think for a moment that just because you have a religious experience that you show up on Sunday morning or on Saturday afternoon. That this doesn't happen. I see it all over the place. I see it in the lives of young people. Whose families have put their own success first. I I have to look back. Just to my own life. I have to look back over uh, 30 years of ministry. And I, I read... Years ago, many, many years ago, an interview with uh, uh, with Billy Graham, who at the end of his ministry said, if I had it to do over again, I would have spent more time with my family than running around the world, loosely quoted. I read that, and then a lot of times did the exact opposite. Um, I look back myself, and I think back to the numbers of people in various countries around the world that if you ask them, my if you, you mention my name to them, they probably wouldn't even remember it. Oh, it was a good time. Hey, oh, yeah, we had a great time. I have no idea where that guy is or anything. Uh, I probably made some of the same mistakes along the way. And we end up paying for those as we go through life. The... Scripture of, once again, of 1 Corinthians, of these are prefigurative historical events to show us, to teach us of the things that we should be doing in our lives today. Uh, As as things continue to, to spin farther and farther out of control, the greatest advice that I can give anyone is to put your family in front of your livestock. Put your family in front of the success, of the things of this earth, the, the things of this world. That would be the thing that I would take out of these verses. Because consider that, to to my, the best of my calculations, when they cross over with the and maybe we tri- get tripped up a little bit with this uh, word cities it's not like they're building a whole city they're building a a, a, a town they're, they're putting you know small houses whatever it is that they're doing in that day uh, enclosures uh, for the families but then these men will be going to into the into the land of Canaan they'll be leaving their families behind for about 14 years. Now, okay. Again, it's a family show, but let's just you know put into to, to modern day uh, terms the uh, let's see how can I say this at time of war and a number of of men going and I know this is this is this is not in keeping with our modern day in which we have, you know, women and, well, I won't even go there. <laughs> I almost did. Um, we have women go into battle, okay? But back then it wasn't so, all right? wasn't so. The men men went into battle, and women stayed with their family, okay? So let's take that uh, and consider that in, in, in days gone by when this happened, uh, what was the birth rate, about nine months, almost exactly, from them leaving, is probably pretty high. So in, in Israel, with the Hebrews, nine months after they cross over the Jordan River in the land of the, of the Gadarenes, the Reubenites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, there is a birth explosion about nine months into this. And there will be children who are raised that did not see their father for 13 years and three months. There will be a whole generation that is raised having not known their fathers. We just went through a pandemic, plandemic, whatever you want to call it. And there's all kinds of uh, studies that will go on now for years and years of what happened to this generation, a generation that wore a mask for a year, Uh, children that in the crucial, formidable time of their life did not see impressions, expressions on people's faces, Uh, lockdowns not being around their family, seeing their grandparents uh, afraid, uh, having to, you know, this, this thing of, you know, let, let's put up a, a, a plastic sheet and hug through that. What, what kind of damage was done during these last years in in our society? And then consider what kind of damage was done to that generation in their day they didn't think through it they did not think through the consequences of what was going to be and because of that who knows what really happened i was asked a a question this morning by someone it's a verse in proverbs i have no idea where my there it is uh, let me just let me just bring up this this verse in Proverbs, kind of an interesting thought here. Uh, in in Proverbs chapter ten, it starts out with a wise son is a joy to his father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And I was asked, what is is this a, a cultural thing, or what is going on there? And it's this is a a biblical concept that talks about the Torah of your mother and the Torah of your father. So why is it the, the, the person who is following the Torah of their father is wise, but the person who did not follow the Torah of their mother is a grief to their mother? Because the person who is wise learned from their mother, and then that, that responsibility for learning the instructions of the Almighty. We're not just talking about the first five books, but the instructions of the Almighty, things like order, things like respect for others, all of that, they, they learn from their mother and then they learn from their father. But when you don't have a father in the house, something happens. I know. I know. I'm a product of that. I'm a product of a of a a father that uh, was never around, that abandoned me, my mother when I was eight years old, died when I was fourteen. I understand that. I understand the, you know the the people who, thinking that they were, that they were doing something that they were that they were somehow encouraging me would come to me as a as an eight year old uh, ten year old child and say, well now you're the man of the house really. I don't know how to do that, nor am I equipped for that one. And so, these, this generation that they had in the in, in that we're reading about, these are a people who put their that they they put their family secondary and had to spend some time making up for it. And maybe never was able to recover from what the the bad decision. Uh, let's be a uh, maybe most of us have made bad decisions. Let's work the best we can to recover from, and ask the Father to restore that which happened because of our bad decisions. In chapter thirty three. These are the stages. That's the title of the Torah portion. These are the stages, and it says Moshe uh, recorded each of the stages of their journey by order of Yudhevave. Here are the starting points of each stage. This is best translated. Uh, this is from Moshe Kempinski. As best translated, the starting points to their journeys, and their journeys to their starting points. At first, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me read it again. The starting point to their journeys, and the journeys to their starting points. Now, this goes against most of our desires in life. You you remember back, some of you can remember back, I was talking with someone recently about this, that uh, a person grew up, they, they went through school, maybe they did some college, They got a job and 40 years later got a gold watch and a pension for the rest of their life. Uh, If you look at that versus what we have today, I mean, you know, people have five and six jobs or or careers by the time they're 30. I know, I know. I I went through, I had like, you know, this one, I, I do this and then do this and do this and do this uh i I've, I've had i've had so many different things that i've done and then i take that into ministry okay i'm pastoring a, a congregation in in north florida and hey i'm happy to stay there the rest of my life waiting for the rapture hallelujah i'll fly away oh glory and then no 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 you're going to be traveling all over the world okay that that's great and then no 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 you're going to be doing this and then you're going to be doing and you know, now at at my age, one of my big uh, you know focuses of my life is is numerous actually. Um, you know, if you ever wonder, have I lost focus of of Israel? No, I haven't lost focus. But I've as, as somebody told me the other day it said, it looks like you're doing the work of you know three or more people. I think uh, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. But that's that's fine, because it's all about moving with the cloud. You've heard me talk about this concept of keeping your tent peg shallow. Well, it's 42 stops in a period of probably 42 months. 42 stops. That's three and a half years. 42 of their stops happened, to the best of of my uh, my you know what I've I've looked at here. the cloud moved and they need to keep their tent pegs shallow because if you put your tent pegs down too far and the cloud moves and the rest of the camp leaves and you're sitting there trying to get your tent pegs out of the ground, you're going to have to play catch up. And, and I really feel like, and I've taught this for so many years, but I really feel like that in this day we need to Put those tent pegs down just far enough in the ground that, they're, that our, our, our tent is secure. From the winds, the, the, the rain, the weather, the storms, get, get them down there where they're like right on the edge of is this safe or not? And don't put it one, don't pound it one more time. Because is if I'm... It, I and many of us believe that we're right in where we're at in history. You know, if all my tent pegs if if all my tent pegs are here uh, about exile, uh, what's going to happen when I find out that it's time to leave exile? You're back here trying to make exile great again. Yes, and and others are moving on. We need to be following the cloud. And that may look like, I, I'm, I'm sure that there there's maybe one or two people out there that have, have watched my life through the years. It's like, well, you're involved in this, and now you're involved in this, and now you're involved in this. And, boy, you, you know, you're like that termite in a yo-yo. No, I'm just trying to follow the cloud. Uh, am I right every time? No, no, I make some mistakes, too. But my desire, with everything in me, is to follow the cloud. And so, if if I'm called to 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 do this for a season, then I do that for a season. Then we do something, whatever else it is He asks us to do for that season. Will I always be in this this season? No, not any more than we'll always be in summer, or we'll always be in winter seasons change what's the song seasons change so do i if the seasons change in the natural world then we should be expecting the seasons to change in our world um verse uh, 55 of this uh, this chapter is um it says and i'm not i'm not going to read the the whole well let me just go back um but this is talking specifically about the land, and it ties into the whole thing about the Midianites. But if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from in front of you, then those who allow you allow to remain will become like thorns in your eyes and thistles in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you are living. And in this event, I will do to you what I intended to do to them. Uh, I'm going I'm to skip on that last section here. This goes back to, what are we showing mercy to in our life? When we're called to destroy something, and we don't destroy it, but instead show mercy to it, don't be surprised when it comes back to bite you. Now, this is regarding the Hebrews, regarding specifically Israel, the Land of Israel, and it says they will harass you in the land where you are living. There's a little bit better, I believe, Hebrew translation of this and it's the, this is the way it goes. they will harass you about the land where you are living. In Israel today there's harassment, there's the uh, there's terrorism. There's all kinds of political upheaval. What's going on today? It is not just an harassment in the land, but it's an harassment about the land. About who owns the land. About who's, who's been given the land. So when Reuben and Gad decided, well, we don't really want to go in. Did they put this into play about this harassment? See, Reuben and Gad never actually called the land of Israel that they were called to possess at that time. They never really called it home. They were only going to be there for a certain amount of time until they could go home. When I go to Israel, when I take a, a, a tour to Israel, it's, it's interesting. You know, I come back and people say, welcome home. And I've gotten to where I don't really respond because I don't call here home. Where are you from? Yeah, Franklin, North Carolina, uh, various places I've, I've been in. But where is home? Home is where his kingdom is. Home is where his kingdom is being established. And so anything out of that, and if I don't have that attitude, that that conviction regarding where home is, then the enemies of Israel, my enemies, will be able to harass me about the land. Oh, well, it's, it's it's not really yours. It's, you know, it, whatever. Well, you can't live there. You can't make Aliyah. You can't do this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say that's still home. It doesn't matter what a person says. It doesn't matter what law the, the, the government of Israel comes up with today. That is still my home. And one day, my body, whether it be present, form, or resurrected... My body will catch up with my, where my spirit is. Until then, I have to deal with where I am. In chapter five, to finish up here, chapter thirty-five. I'm sorry, um, verse thirty-four says, "No, you are not to defile the land in which you live, and in which I live, for I, Yudhayavhe, live among the people of Israel." Two things that are going on here. And it says that I li- he lives in the land, but he lives among the people of Israel. Now, this gets tied up into religious arguments of, uh, of big words that we were told about in Sunday school or something that none of us really understood then or, or understand now, uh, uh, the omniscience. That God is everywhere. Well, yeah, he's everywhere. Okay, I got that. He is everywhere at, at once. He does not have a past. He does not have a future. He has a present. And uh, as I've taught the, the young adults, uh, because of his vantage point, he can see you in as an embryo in the womb and in the kingdom at the same time. Now, take that Calvin and Wesleyan and all that kind of stuff. Your, your arguments are really insignificant in anything. People argue about things that don't make any sense to argue about. So, yes, he is everywhere. But yet, there is a specific presence, and I don't understand this, but there is a specific presence of his that is in the land. There is also his presence that is in his people. I experienced this in Franklin, Tennessee. Doesn't look a thing like Jerusalem. Doesn't even look like anything in Israel that I've seen. But we experienced his presence. Why? Because his presence is in Israel, but his presence is also in his people. And the truth is, his people, Israel, though for the most part, His people, Israel, don't even know they're Israel yet, and that's why we have so much confusion, because if your identity is not right, your behavior will not be right. So his people, Israel, are today exiled into the world. And when the exile happened, Whether it be the Northern Kingdom exile, twenty two thousand something, twenty seven hundred years ago, or it was the Babylonian exile, or it was the exile of the Northern Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom that is still in the world today. It doesn't matter. Exile is exile. So when his people were were exiled from the land, he didn't he, he it was like I'm going with you. There's a, a wonderful rabbinic commentary on this that says that when the Shekinah, the glory, departed from the temple, that it went into exile with the people and will one day return. Wow, to see the, to see the, the, the last person. Imagine from the four corners of the earth the prophet Jeremiah, Isaiah, various others, the last person making their way back into the land, and the last piece of the exiled Shekinah, the last particle of his glory being restored into the land of Israel. The the, the picture... That I get of that is, is is overwhelming. So we see that he has his presence in Israel, but his presence is also with us in exile. The issue is this: Do we have we made exile comfortable? Have we made his presence in exile comfortable? i don't speak for him i i may have some some opinions but in the end i i don't pretend to speak for him but i think i can pretty well assure you of this one though he is in exile and you and i have the opportunity to become comfortable in exile his presence will never be comfortable in exile so probably the greatest thing we can do is lose our comfort for his. Hmm. Give you something to think about. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov, have a blessed, prosperous week. Bez Rad Hashem, God willing. See you again next week. Until then.